how would you finish this statement? If only I had blank, my life would be much easier. Maybe you would want more of something, like if only I had more time, my life would be easier, like more free time, or more overtime, or more family time, or more relaxing time, my life would just be much easier. Or if I had more money, my life would be much easier. Or, or for some in here, if I had more hair. If I had a different job, if I had a better vehicle, if I had a bigger house, if, if God would give me a husband or a wife, man, I, I would love that. And if God would just let us have a child, God would let us have another child. God would just give me a little bit better health. Life would be much easier. The truth is we could probably all put something in that blank to complete the sentence because we all have or do face the need of some kind that we can't necessarily provide for ourselves. So I want you to listen to this message and study Ruth chapter 2 today with me through the lens of your greatest need. I want you to think of your greatest need right now or your greatest desire right now. Because it's in this chapter that we learn how God provides for our needs when we follow him by faith. We left the story in chapter 1 when Ruth made a huge choice of faith to leave her homeland Moab and go over to Bethlehem. That was a choice of faith because Moab was cursed by God. Bethlehem was blessed by God. And so for her as as a foreign woman, a widow woman, from the country of Moab that God cursed, and then to go to the midst of God's people in Bethlehem, house of bread, in the tribe of Judah, a tribe of praise, to be thrown smack dab in the middle of the church. That took a a step of faith for her. It it took a step of faith because it meant that she was going to forsake her God in Moab, which was called Shemosh, and go to God Jehovah. She was forsaking her, 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 her first original family and she was going with her mother-in-law to create a new family. She was leaving the prospects of getting a new husband a lot easier in Moab than it would ever be in Israel. And so this was a, faith, a step of faith for her. And at this point, if Ruth had to finish the sentence, she would say this, if only I had a husband, My life would be much easier. Not because she's just sick and tired of being single. She's already been married, but her husband died. And having a husband as a woman in the the ancient Middle East was everything. In that patriarchal society, if you were a woman without a husband, you were a woman without a purpose. She would also feel it in this way. If only I had food, my life would be much easier. You understand that, 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 that she wasn't able to go in and, and, and get a grocery voucher from a church like we give out and then go to the best market and say, I got a $30 grocery voucher to get groceries. She didn't have a husband to provide for her. She didn't have a husband to protect for her. She had no idea how she was going to get her next meal. And so no doubt she was thinking this thought, how is this going to work? I'm following God by faith, but how am I going to eat if I have no job? I'm following God by faith, but how am I going to get married seeing I am a Moabitish women, woman in Bethlehem? Spoiler alert, God provides for both of those needs. Ruth 2, God provides for her need for food. And Ruth 3 and 4, God provides for her need for a husband. And here's the central truth that we're going to go to work on in chapter 2. You ready? God's path never lacks God's provision. 
You should write it down. You should remember it. You should tuck it away in your heart for future times of need. That if you are indeed on God's path spiritually, and and, and if you're on God's path financially, and if you're on God's path relationally and vocationally, if you're on his path by faith, he will meet your every need because God's path never lacks God's provision. I know you hear that all the time, and the question is this. Okay, if I follow God by faith and he meets my need by his grace, then how does he do that? What does that exactly look like? Well, Ruth 2 gives us a portrait of God's provision. Shows us six aspects of God's provision. Number one, God's provision begins with God's providence. What is God's providence? It's, It's kind of a theological term, but it's taken from two Latin words, pro and video. And when put those, when those words are put together, it simply means to see beforehand. So somebody has said it this way, God's prevision leads to our provision. Oh, what do you mean? It means that God sees farther than we can see. It means that God knows what we have need of before we even ask. It means that God is working way ahead of us before we ever get to a specific situation that was proven true in Abraham and Isaac's life. When Abraham said to young Isaac, follow me to Mount Moriah, we've got to sacrifice before the Lord. And they get up there and and, and Isaac says, where is the animal? And, and, And Abraham by faith said, God will provide. And God was working in the little mind and heart of a ram before they ever took off to Mount Moriah, to head right to that spot. By the way, I don't think God dropped a ram from heaven. He had a little GPS chip in there, and he was controlling that little ram to get caught in the thickets at just the right time when Abraham would raise up the knife to sacrifice his son Isaac by faith, and he would work in that little ram's life to be at the right time at the right place. At the right place at the right time. That's God's pro video. That's his providence. How did he do it in Ruth's life? Well, he started by moving at the right time. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. Now watch this small little detail. And they came back to Bethlehem when? In the beginning of barley harvest. Was that on accident? No, these, these widow women, women would have depended largely on harvest to sustain themselves, and here's why. Because in Leviticus 23 and verse 22, God set up a law, and it was a law to care for the widows, even the foreigner widows like Ruth. And the law set up was to farmers in that day and to field owners in that day, and they had to save the corners of their field for the widows. And so the widow women could go, and it wasn't the greatest crop, It was kind of leftover in some ways, but they had to save a little portion for that. And God moved in Naomi's heart to go back at just the right time. But he also moved in the right person. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And Naomi had a kinsman, that's a relative, of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech. And his name was, say his name please. Now he is a key character moving forward. God intersected their lives with the one individual who could rescue them from their poverty. It was a godly man, a wealthy man, and a relative. We'll talk more about that later. Verse 3, he moved in the right place. Look at at it. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now watch what the narrator says. And her hap, we don't say that today, we would say this, and she happened to. Lied on a part of the field belonging unto who? Say it. Who is the kindred, a relative, or the family of Elimelech. The writer uses sarcasm. 
He's not saying that it just happened by chance. He's using sarcasm to show us just the opposite. He's saying this is too good to just happen by chance. There were so many fields that she could have walked to, and she coincidentally walked to the field of the one man that could provide for her need, both by way of food, and we'll see later, by way of husband. That's how God works. You need to understand that God, with God, there are no accidents, ever. So God's provision, what you can see, always begins with God's providence, what you can't see. Let me explain it deeper. There are two hands of God. Focus. Two hands of God. One is his miraculous working hand, and one is his providential hand. You can go to the Gospels, a very familiar story, to see his miraculous working hand. That was when he took uh, the, the little lunch, a few pieces of bread, a few pieces of fish, and he, and he multiplied those miraculously to feed 5,000 hungry people in the moment. Okay, no providence, no working ahead of time. This, this was just simply God said, what do you have? And Andrew said, well, your little boy has this. Bring it to me. And he did it. It, it was immediate. Um, it was tangible. It was visible. It was miraculous. But then he has his providential hand, and that's how he typically works in our lives today. You can't always see it. You can't always feel what he's doing. He's miles and miles ahead of you. Does he still work a miraculous way? You better believe it. He's a miracle working God still. But most of the time, he's working in ways ahead of us that we never know until we get there and look back and say, wow, God did this and this and this and this. Have you ever looked back on a situation and connected the dots? That's God's providence. That's his providential hand. And so don't be waiting around all the time for God's miracle working hand to send down bread from heaven. Trust in his providential hand that is going before you and working in ways you can't see right now. His provision always begins with his providence. Can I give you another aspect? God's provision works alongside our initiative. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn, after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Honestly, it should have been Naomi's idea to go work for food, but she was bitter. Bitter people are indifferent. Bitter people are inactive. And so Ruth in spite of the indifference of her mother-in-law, showed initiative by saying, you know what, I'm going to go try to go to a certain field, whichever one I ha to happen to land on, and I'm going to see if I can find grace in the eyes of the field owner and get us some food to eat today. It was literally hand to mouth, day by day. And she took the initiative to do that. Here's the point, listen, God won't do everything for you. He has given you a brain, he's given you two eyes, and two ears, and two hands, and two feet, and he expects you to do what you can, then he will come in and do what you can't do according to his perfect will for your life. So I would say to some of you, you need to stop waiting for what you need, and you need to start working with what you have. Well, if I had more time, my life would be easier. What are you doing with the time you have? Maybe you need to take initiative to get out of bed a little earlier or plan your week a little better or learn to say no more often. There are some things that only God can control about your calendar, but I'm convinced there are many things that stress us out that we could take initiative on ourselves. If I had more money, my life would be easier. What do you do with the money you currently have? Because God is not prone to bless one of his children with a $100 bill if they don't know how to use a $50 bill. And God is not, 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 he's not even 
he, he, he's not even prone to bless his children with financial assistance of any kind if they're not giving to him an honest tithe. What are you doing with what little you have? Man, if I had just a little better health and more energy, oh, my life would be much easier. What are you doing with the little bit of health you have right now? How are you eating? How are you exercising? Well, God, if you just give me good health and God's looking down and say, why don't you take a little initiative? Why don't you go to the field? Why don't you go to the gym? Just get on the treadmill. Just quit eating McDonald's. Man, if I was married, my life would be much better. All right, guys, go to Target. Single girls hang out there all the time. They don't buy anything. They just hang out there. Take a shower. Stop playing video games. Move out of your parents' basement. That's a good start. Amen. I'm just trying to say that God's provision comes alongside our initiative. God says, I'm not going to do everything for you. I want to partner with you. Number three, God's provision often flows through his people. Look at verse four through verse nine. Now follow the story with me. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered to him, the Lord bless you. That's just a conversation Boaz had with his field workers. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, reapers, whose damsel is this? Time out. I don't know what he meant by that. Maybe he just looked and said, where does she come from? Maybe that's what he meant, probably what he meant. But I'm thinking maybe he laid eyes on her and said, Whew, who dropped her from heaven? <laughs> I read yesterday that his favorite pickup line to Ruth was this. Hey, before I met you, I was ruthless. <laughs> All right, that's a dad joke. Your name must be faith, because you're the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, if you never read Hebrews, you don't get that. All right, enough of that. Verse number six. And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, is this the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab? She said, I pray you, I ask you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Watch this. Then Boaz said unto Ruth, hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Don't even leave my field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap and go after them. Have I not charged the young men, those, those young men whose hormones are raging, that they shall not touch thee because you're so pretty? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Do you see this provision being given? Not from miraculously from the sky, providentially from the hand of one of God's men, Boaz. That is how God works. He provides for your needs most often through the generosity of his people. Luke 6.38 confirms that. Give. And it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men, men, give into your bosom. Now, now you need to understand something. There's got to be a disclaimer before I go on applying this. Ruth did not enter into the field of Boaz with the spirit of entitlement. She did not go and say, hey, just so you know, I know what the Torah says. I get a corner of your field, so just, just skedaddle out of my way, Bubba. Those are my crops. I'm a widow. God put them there for me. No, nope, she at, in verse 7, she asked him. 
the spirit of humility. And so I'm not at all saying that if you're in a time of need that you get a bucket and go to the entrance of the church and hold out a bucket with the spirit of entitlement that people with means need to put in it for you. Okay, are you with me? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. It only works alongside of our initiative. But I am trying to say that God's people are God's conduit through which he pours his provision into his other children that need it. It's, it's really a, a concept that even, even men in the secular world get that might not even be saved. Men like T. Boone Pickens. He, he recently passed away, but he was a billionaire from Oklahoma. And, and, and I don't know his spiritual condition. He probably wasn't saved because he was an Oklahoma State fan. But God even saves real, real bad sinners, so maybe he was. But In his farewell letter, he wrote this, I quote, For most of my adult life, I believed that I was put on earth to make money and then give it away. In 2010, he was challenged by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates um, to take what they called their giving pledge, which challenged the wealthiest people in the world to dedicate the majority of their wealth to philanthropy and charity. He agreed immediately, and in his life, he gave away hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know his spiritual condition. So I can't say he was a lost man or if he knew the Bible, he was, I don't know. All I know is that even a man out in the secular world knew this concept, grasped this concept that God blesses us that we might bless others. If God has given you success and, 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 and he's given you wealth in any kind, listen to me, it's not for you to hoard it's wise to invest. It's wise to save. Come ask me. I have a plan. I do it. I have a financial investor. And it's great. But listen to me. God actually blesses you monetarily so that you can be a conduit through which you bless his children. And I don't think God's people always see it that way. I don't think God's people always have a Boaz type spirit. I think God's people, too many of God's people are tight fisted. It's my money. I'll give it to my family. And that's not how God works. You got to be wise. You got to be smart. You got to be intelligent. But you need to be generous. And it's not just about money. God has blessed some of you with ability, like, like, like to work with your hands, whether that be landscaping or plumbing or electrical or contract work or, or mechanical work on a car. You know that you can be a Boaz through your, your ability to work with your hands to people in need. There are some widows, there are some Ruths. There are some people like me that don't know how to do anything with their hands outside of type a sermon and lead a song. And I need some Boazes in my life to help me put lights up like a man in our church did this week. He saved me a ton of money and did it better than people I could even pay to do. If you want his name, you're not getting it because he doesn't work for you. He's my Boaz. He's my sugar daddy. You know who you are. But there are people in this church who have given financially to meet the needs of others, to meet the needs of God's house, and they get, they get it. People in our church get it. And then there's, there's some men and, and even women in our church that, that, that God has used their talents and abilities to actually save other church members' money. I'm not saying that, 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 that church members, please hear me, we shouldn't abuse that. But if God has given you a, a talent to work on a car, or talent to build a wall, or, or, or a talent to sew, or anything like that, perhaps you should try using that to, 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 to provide for the needs of the roofs God's placed in your life. Yeah. 
All right. Verse number four. I mean, uh, point number four. God's provision is a reward for our faith. God's provision is a reward for our faith. I love this dialogue between Boaz and Ruth. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face. That's what humble people do. Bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? That thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. And he said, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. I love that. Boaz said, you think it's me. But no, no, I'm just a conduit. I'm just a vessel. My provision to you is actually God's reward to you for your faith. God saw when you tucked yourself beneath his wings. He he said what the psalmist said in Psalms 91 verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. There's been a song written about it. Boaz is saying, Ruth, you left your homeland, you left your parents, you left your familiarity, you left your your security, and don't think for a moment God didn't see that. And you ask questions, and you probably doubted, and you're wrestling with fear. Don't think for a moment God is not paying attention to those insecurities. God knows your step of faith. God knows what you've done for him. And as a helpless bird, you've tucked yourself near him, even when it didn't feel right. And God is giving you provision as a reward for your faith. I love this. I love this. You know why? Because it tells me that God is indeed a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's not just a verse in scripture, it's a reality. It tells me what Brother Mike Collins has told me before, that when we step out by faith, God steps in with his grace. It tells me that God's path never lacks God's provision. And it ought to be encouraging to you because it means that when you give an honest tithe and a generous offering by faith, God will reward you. When you step out by faith and you say, you know what, I'm going to get all in. I'm going to become a church member, not just a church spectator. I'm going to be a participant, and I'm going to get involved. And I know it's a risk, and my personality is uncomfortable with it, but I'm going to do it, and God will reward that. When by faith you, you forgive the person that hurt you, even when it's the last thing you feel like doing, and you go a step further, you choose to bless your enemies and pray for them which despitefully use you, God will reward that faith. When by faith you distance yourself from friends or from a relationship that is bringing you down spiritually and hindering your growth in the Lord, even though you've been friends for a long time, and even though it's the only prospect of marriage that you've had in years, it may hurt to do so, but if you do it by faith, God will reward you when by faith you tell your children no more missing church for sports we're going to start putting God first in our lives we're no longer going to skip God's day for our recreation when by faith you make those kind of decisions hear me church God will reward you for that I would never stand up here like some preachers do and tell you how he's going to do it because I can't give that specific kind of promise I just know he'll do it He may increase your income, but he may decrease your outgo. He may give you a new friend, or he may be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
He may restore that relationship that was broken when you choose by faith to forgive, or he just may give you peace to go through life without it. All I know is that God's provision is a way of rewarding your faith. And many people in our church have seen that firsthand. Mm. Let me show you a fifth aspect. God's provision is always more than we deserve and often more than we expect. Now, if I start preaching here in a moment, you better start saying amen. More than just a couple people in this section. Can I get a couple amens from this section? Thad, can I get an amen back there? Thank you. I want the, I want the introverted people to be amen to me, all right? This is, this is too good to stay quiet. Verse 14. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. It's like Olive Garden. You get to dip your bread in the, you know. I mean, this is generosity. She sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. Look up here for a second. Men in this society did not do this. Farmers did not invite foreign widow women from Moab to come for an Olive Garden-type meal. They didn't even let him in their house. Boaz did. Verse 15. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. She doesn't have to stay in the corner. Reproach her not. Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. In other words, drop some on purpose. Just go ahead and drop some. Leave them that she may glean them. And Hey, rebuke her not. Don't give her a dirty look. And if you do, you're, you're gone, Bubba. You drop, you drop some groceries for her. And you'd be happy about it. Verse 17. So they did. And she gleaned in the field until even. And beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. I had to look up what an ephah of barley was about. It was about half to two-thirds a bushel. Which is between 30 to 50 pounds of barley. Let me give you a little perspective. An average ration for a male worker per day one of his regular male field workers would take home to their families one to two pounds. They lived hand to mouth. They couldn't call in sick or they didn't get a meal. And so the field worker that belonged to Boaz got one or two pounds. A foreign widow woman just walked away with 30 to 50 pounds of barley. That would feed her and her mother-in-law for a very long time. What's the point? The point is that we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He's a God that when you sow sparingly, he gives sparingly. But when you sow bountifully, he gives bountifully. He's a God that moves in men's hearts, the Bible says, to give you good measure and pressed down and shaken together. And my favorite part, running over. He's the God that says in Malachi 3, prove me now if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Not a sprinkle, not a drop, but so much that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I look at my life. This grand, I, I compare it with what I've given to God. And Brady with what he's given to me. And I'm almost embarrassed. 
God has given me more than I deserve, but I'm telling you, he has given me more than I could ever expect. Don't let me fool you, I'm not rich. But I do have everything I need and even some things that I want. I have a godly wife that loves me, I think, unconditionally and makes me better every single day. I have a son the doctor said I would never have, and he's healthy, and he loves his Christian school, and he loves his church, and he loves his friends, and he loves his family, and he has a sweet spirit. I have godly parents. One of them sitting there that raised me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I have a church family and the fellowship family that loves me in ways that exceed my expectation and support me in ways that I can never support myself. I have friends both in these pews today and all around the world that love me and encourage me and sharpen me. And preachers today, four preachers from around this nation text me today just to say I'm praying for you and I love you and I'm rooting for you. Hey, I have a roof over my head. I have a car in my garage I have shoes on my feet and clothes on my back and food on my table and it goes beyond what I need I have an iPhone in my pocket I have an iMac in my office I'm preaching from an iPad I'm wearing an iWatch and I listen to music on AirPods and I don't need any of that God has given me more than I deserve and a lot more than I could ever expect Unless you think he shortchanged you, he hasn't. And that should activate our praise, which is the last aspect of God's provision. It should activate our praise, verse 18. And she, that's Ruth, took it up. She took up 30 to 50 pounds of barley. That woman was strong. She went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where hast thou gleaned today? What honey hole did you find? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be, who is this guy that did take knowledge of thee? And she showed her mother-in-law with whom he had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi, bitter, sour Naomi. She's only said three words in the last year. Nay, my daughter. Or yes, my daughter. Go, my daughter. Whatever it was. And she here breaks out in a song. Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. She's saying, I was as good as dead. Until God blessed me. And it shows me that even the most sour and bitter Christian can have their praise activated again. And brought from such a low spot when they truly open their eyes to see everything God has given them. Not everything God has failed to give you. Not everything that God has in his providence withheld from you. Not everything you've lost. But when you stop to think that yes, I do have something straight from the hand of my good God. You can sing a song. When's the last time you cleared off a spot and sang a song to God? When is the last time 
that when you were serving in a ministry here at Fellowship Baptist Church, it wasn't out of a heart of duty and because you committed to it, it was out of a heart of praise. I'm watching those little rugrats that I don't even claim as my own. I'm changing their diapers for their parents that are enjoying a service that I can't enjoy. Because I love God. I mow that lawn out there every four or five Saturdays. God's done a lot for me. That's why I do it. I sing in the choir and I come to practice on Sunday afternoons and I sing in special groups and I pursue excellence and it takes a lot of time. And I do that not just because I enjoy it. I do it because it's my way of saying thank you, God. I show up early on Sunday mornings to run a sound booth or to run the slides for media and to get ready so we're not a distraction to the service. I don't do it because I'm scared of Brother Tyler. Well, maybe, but I do it because I want to tell God thank you. I play an instrument because I want to tell God thank you. I give in the offering because I want to tell God thank you. I give to the poor because I want to tell God thank you. I love my neighbor and I forgive my enemy because I want to tell God thank you for loving and forgiving me. I want to know when the last time that, that it was in your life where you cleared off a spot at this altar in public, you did away with your pride. You didn't care what people thought. I don't care how tough you are, sir. I don't care how private you are, ma'am. When is the last time you said, I don't care about any of that because I'm so overwhelmed with God's done in my life, I'm going to take any opportunity I can to fall on my face before him just to say thank you. I won't ask for a single thing. I'll just say thank you. In my office. Preparing this message, I stopped. Stopped on Thursday. I got on my knees and closed my door, locked it. And I just started singing to God. You ever done that? Started with this one. I stand amazed. In the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned unclean How marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I cried a little bit. I just sat still for a little bit. I started singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And then there's this verse I, I just do in private, praise God. Praise God. The words are easy. Praise God. Praise God. But they're profound. Praise God. Praise God. 
Praise God, 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 praise God. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. You ever sung this? All together worthy. All together wonderful to me. Sing it. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. Because you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. I love you, Lord. Sing it, that's what I sang. And I lift my voice. To worship you, yeah. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy. Take joy, my King, in what you sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Because provision should activate our praise. I did this first so we don't sing it often. I praise you, Lord. Sing it. And I to honor you. To honor you. Oh, my soul. Oh, yeah. It's good. Breathe. Take joy. Take joy, my king. He's listening. Beautiful. May it be. Be a sweet, sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I know some of you came to church. Miss Grant, if you get ready on the piano. Some of you came to church and the last thing you had in your heart was a song. Last thing you wanted to do is praise. But if you, watch here, I'm done. If you will believe in God's providence, meaning he's working ahead of you, that means you can praise him before the provision even comes because he's already working on it. Well, God hasn't met my needs and I think I'll sing to him if he does. He's working right now. He's in, he's in the kitchen. He's making your tires last a little bit longer and you don't even know it. He's helping your kids not get sick this month. 
Huh? He's going to make something go on sale at Walmart. Maybe he won't do that. I don't know. I'm just trying to say his prevision makes way for your provision. He's ahead of you. So you don't have to have something in your hand to praise him. It's in the oven already. Get to singing. Get to praying. Fall on your knees before God. He's given you more than just a corner of the field, my friend. He's given you the sheaves. It's been a long time since some of you have been to an altar. And the authority of God's word and kindly, I say shame on you. Because God has done too much for you. It's not by yourself at an old-fashioned altar to say thank you. Would you stand to your feet and let's do it.